Every believer has the capacity to live as Jesus lived. Live victoriously over sin, sickness, death, poverty, and every evil works of the enemy. You can transform not just your own life, but the lives of people around you. The more you expose yourself to the words of God, the more you see it flow through you. In this message, Pastor Philip teaches on how you can respond to God's unconditional love for you. Live your life in the reality of His power and be all His Word says you can be. And she has a very peculiar story. So I pleaded with her. She's a very busy person. I pleaded with her to be here this morning to share a story with us. A story will be very touching. But it's going to heal many. For me, I'm more concerned about how God was able to help her get off from that rubbish to the woman she has become today. And she's going to tell us how she made it and how she pulled through. And so far as many people who are in pains, I, I, I mean, no matter what pain you are going through, you'll find out that yours might even be far, far little compared to what she went through. But if God could help her through it, then God can help you through it. Now, it doesn't have to be about relationship alone. If you, if you lost something, you lost money, you lost a spouse, or you lost a parent, and you're at the point of your life where you're at the verge of darkness, and you're, you're sitting at the point where you, you don't even know what's going to happen anymore, I want you to find hope and restoration through to this testimony. If you wouldn't mind, would you put yourself together and celebrate Jesus as a bring Praise the Lord. I'm very sorry I came late. Uh, my name is Wanda. And um, I don't have so much time, so I'll go straight to the point. I've, I was in an abusive marriage. I got married, I got married December 2012, traditionally. And we, our courtship was for two years. But I'll tell you something. I, I will share with you a mistake I made so that you won't make the same mistake. Now, I was praying to get married, and when I met this young man, I think all I looked out for was, first, his appearance, and then I knew he was smart, he was intelligent. So those are the things that attracted me. He's slim, tall, handsome. So those are the things I was looking out for, and I ignored the most important things. I didn't care about his lifestyle. I didn't care about what kind of friends, what company he kept. All I cared for was the fact that this man is good looking. So I'm saying this to you because I need you to know that marriage is not about hooking up with a good looking guy. There's more to getting married than just looking at what you see outwardly. So we got married and Right after we got married, we started having issues. In fact, from the wedding day, we started having issues. We got cash gifts of about 547,000 naira. And after the wedding, I was like, okay, I think he should give me maybe 150 out of it and he can have the rest. He said, no, the money is all for me. I said, How, what do you mean? He said, oh, the money is for me. My mom's friends sprayed us more money. I was watching when we were dancing, so you can't want to even have a portion of it. So I let it slide. I'm just telling you how little things can, can cause fire in marriage. So um, 
I knew that, I just noticed he didn't care about anything. He also got married to me because he felt I was hardworking. In fact, I was heartbroken on the wedding day when the pastors like, called us for a brief meeting before we went out to meet our guests. They asked him, why are you getting married to this lady? The first thing he said is, she's very hardworking. So they were shocked. What else do you, do you have to say? He couldn't say anything else. So they asked him, so you don't love her? He said, oh no, that was basic now. I definitely love her. Love is not the issue. I love her. I don't have to tell you guys I love her. I just said, no. Most times the first thing people say is, I love this woman. But the only thing you could say was, she's hardworking. My heart skipped. I knew I was in trouble. <laughs> but I also knew I couldn't just call off the wedding right there because my parents, everybody, and they had paid the bride price in December, so this was January. So after that, I said, well, maybe things will be all right. But I already had my fears, you know. And when we got married, it was hell. We lived together for only four months. I was working in Calabar when we got married. And that was January of 2013 in church. We got married traditionally December. And then in church, January 2013. So I lived in Calabar up until... Yes, I got pregnant. He never visited me when I was pregnant throughout the whole nine, nine months. And I was by myself. I suffered preeclampsia when I was pregnant. That's high blood pressure and pregnancy. But he would even mock me. What are you even worried, worrying about? Why do you have high blood pressure? But it, it was pregnancy-induced. He didn't even have that understanding, and he didn't care. He visited me, let's say, once, just once, throughout the time. I spent two nights. The very day he arrived, Calabar, he said, let me get a recharge card. And that was it. I didn't see him till the next day in the morning. I was so worried. I just kept trying his number. The phone would ring. He won't pick up. And then he finally switched off the phone. So the next day in the morning when he came back, I said, where, where did you go? I didn't even sleep. I don't even see you. I haven't seen you in six months and you're here. You just arrived today. Where did you go? Where did you even spend the night? He said ah, that he went to buy a charge card and he ran into his old friend. So they went straight to club. I said, I don't believe that story. You already planned to go to club. At least you should tell me. You should have told me. You know, but he didn't say it. He just said, please, I'm back. At least I'm back. No apology, nothing. And the next day, he just woke up and left. So it was, we always had issues. I dare not ask him for money. That one is, is out of equation. Even when I was pregnant, I said, you need to send me some money. Let's do baby shopping together. He said, it's your baby. It's not, it's not my business. And he didn't spend a dime until time of delivery. Yes. He knew the due date. But he didn't show up. He is a civil servant. I had told him to apply for leave so that we'll be together at that time. At least baby was coming. He needed to be there. He said, okay, he'll do it. Everything he did, he called his mom before he did it, like he would seek his mom's consent. And mom, my wife just said um, her due date is 23rd of July. I'm on leave. I'm, I'm starting leave maybe three days before that day. What do you think? The mom is like, you don't need to be there. 
are you the midwife? What are you coming to do? Allow her. She, when she gives birth, you come and see the baby. So that was it. He didn't come. Now, throughout the whole time of pregnancy, I was being monitored, of course, in Calabar. I had my medical reports. I was, since I was alone, I decided to give, have the baby with my mom. That was another battle. His mom said, oh, I was looking down on her. That I was trying to say she's not good enough to welcome a baby. So I can't have a baby with my mom. I have to have a baby with her. So I said, no, I think I'll be more comfortable with my mom. It became a family problem. So my parents were like, mm, please, you're married. I think you should just go with your family members. They want you around. It's their first grandchild. I think you should just go there. So I said, okay. So I went to her. But she had her own agenda. And I didn't know. First of all, she had a problem with the fact that we're a minority from Benue. I'm from Benue. So the tribe is a very, very small tribe. So she had a problem. In first place, she wake up, she said, I jazzed her son. How will her son see all the beautiful girls in Tiefland and marry from this tiny village? I did something to her son. So all those things were problems. So he was such a mommy's boy. So anything mom says is final. So when I once I arrived at her house from Calabar, she just quickly asked me, where, where, where's your transfer documents? The, the medical report, I want to see it. Innocently, I just took the file and I gave it to her. She's, she's a retired matron. So she flipped through and she's like, high blood pressure, recommended CS. Who? You, you told your doctor to write CS for you? I said, no, I'm, I'm on BP drugs. I've been on BP drugs since I got pregnant. So she said, the safest way for me to deliver right now is cesarean section. You guess what she did? She, she just removed that recommendation sheet and she shredded it right before me. I said, do you know what you're doing? She said, yes. All these young girls of these days, you're running away from labor pains. You must face it. I said, no. Do you want to confirm with the doctor? I have his number. You can speak with the doctor. She said, that's your business. You must have paid him to write CS on your medical report. So anyway, let's see how it goes. It's me and you in this house. You're not going to have that CS. So when I went into labor, she didn't even come. I told her that I, was, I had menstrual pain and that I think I'm spotting. So she said she wants to see it. So I showed her and she's like, oh, you're in labor. Okay, thank God. I had already made arrangements with my friend's doctor in a private hospital to deliver there. But it didn't work out as planned because she had her own agenda. So when the labor progressed, I was all by myself and her husband was begging her, I think you need to go and spend some time with that lady. She's in pains and she can't be left by herself, please. So she came there and then she checked. She said, okay, we should go to the hospital. Just get ready. Let's go. She drove straight to a government hospital. And when we got there, they didn't check my vital signs. They didn't do anything. She had walked in that hospital and everybody was already angry with her because of her nasty attitude. So they wanted to pay her back. And I was the, the meat. <laughs> so when we got there, nobody attended to me. In fact, they told me to go back, that there's no space. There's no bed for you. Just go home. So in my mind, I said, ah, thank God. Finally, we'll go to that, my own private hospital I wanted. She said, no, lie on the floor. You're not, I'm not driving you anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. You give birth here. I said, ah, mom, but they say they don't have 
bed space. They don't have any space. So how will I have the baby here? She said, hey, you will have the baby here. Don't worry, I'm coming. She went home. She brought one six spring mattress to the hospital and put it on the floor. She said, you can use that one. By the time she came, the labor had progressed. So I was almost there. So I, while I was there, I started vomiting. I started pleading with the nurses, please. I'm sorry, because they were yelling at me. Why are you vomiting on our floor? You will mop it. I said, I'm sorry. But I didn't just vomit. I even peed. And the pee is so plenty. They said I should shift. They want to see the pee. So they were like, ah, her water broke. That was how they just started rushing to take me in. Oh, my God, baby is coming. I said, no, baby is not coming. I'm pressed. They said, no, you're not pressed. It's the baby. I said, no. Like that. We argued that until by the time they took me to deliver. That was when they checked my vital signs. All the midwives and nurses became born again that night. They started praying, blood of Jesus. We should not go into shock in Jesus' name because the blood pressure was very bad. It was so high. They were scared that I might not even, be, I might not even make it. So she was all standing right there. So they took care of me. They're like, if they knew, it would have been a CS. But I was pushing because... The pains to even me, I, I felt I was going to die that day even. So after the whole thing, we went back home that very day. She said, she told them, but husband, don't worry, I'll take care of her. I'm a matron now. You guys, I'm sure you know. I'll take care of her. Don't worry. Allow her. Because they wanted to monitor the baby. She said, no, I'll monitor it myself. I have, I have everything in the house. As soon as we got home, she brought um, snap. It's not snap. That's aromatic that drink she, she, she brought the full bottle I should drink it I said why she said eh, so that to flush flush everything I said on a normal day I don't even drink this type of thing so I can't even drink it right now she said no you have to drink it though. I'm not going to press your stomach up. this is what you will drink so that at least everything will come out quickly and you will get yourself back I said mom if this is the only way out I'm not doing don't worry and she got angry. She left. So her son arrived. And first of all, she said, this baby doesn't look like her, her child. Baby doesn't look like her son. First of all, the baby's weight is too much that the days she was delivering, none of her kids weighed up to three kg. So how? How? I said, mommy, but me and you are not the same now. She said, I should shut up. I shouldn't challenge her when she's talking. That this child is not her son's child. That is for one Igbo guy. She's very short. This boy looks like an Igbo boy even. She said, the baby looks like an Igbo child. That I've gone to get pregnant for one Igbo guy and I'm forcing it on her. So I said, but I'm married. She said, does it matter? Are you not in Calabar? Who knows what you're doing there? You know, so all those. So when her son came, he was excited. The first two, three days about the baby, he even helped to wash the first baby clothes. And the mom was like, eh? This is the height of manipulation. Why will you stoop so low to be washing baby things? This woman will disrespect you. Are you okay? And he left it. She will come. She will buy alcohol and tell the son, leave that room. Why are you carrying baby like that? What's the woman doing that you're busy carrying baby? You're a man, no? Remember, he will get up, go and sit with him, with the mom. They will drink. So, but I told myself that, anyway, maybe it was just his mom influencing all that drama. Maybe when we are together, it will be better. Since he tries to do something good and the mom will just change it. But when we were living together, <laughs> it was even worse. So he would go out, come back with his friends from club, 
to our home, and then when I complain, he's going to be like, ah, what's there? Please, if you want to have fun, you to go out and have fun. No, I'm not stopping you from having fun. You can also have fun. And then, there's this certain lady he brought to the house. And I could tell they had something to do with each other. So, because they were not comfortable. Anytime I come to the parlor, they won't talk. If I, if I go back to the room or the kitchen, they will gist, you know. So, but they noticed, and I came and sat down there. So they noticed I didn't want to move. So the lady said she was leaving. Both of them left to like two flats after my house. It was a single guy that was living there and they went, spent time and came back. So I asked him what was going on between him and that woman. I don't understand. He said, no, he wants the woman to be my friend. Though. That the woman is his very good friend. In fact, the woman's children, the third one, the delivery was a miracle. I said, ah, is it your business? You, you know about other people's delivery, but you don't know about your own child. He said, hey, I'm always very petty. Why must I complain about everything? That woman was my friend. I said, the next time she comes to this house, I will boil water and pour on her. So if you love her, let her not come here again. And he said, okay. He, that was how he stopped her from coming to the house. And the next thing, like a few weeks after that, it was a guy that came, he invited to our home. So when the guy arrived, he was restless all over the place. He, the, the guy he invited would wake up 5 a.m., cook, fix his breakfast, set the table, keep water for him to bath, just run around like a bitch. Excuse my French. So I asked him, <laughs> so I asked him, what is going on between you and this guy? This is strange. Why is he up and about about your meals? Why is he behaving like your wife? Are you also gay? <laughs> he didn't get angry. You know, a guy normally won't like that kind of question. He didn't get angry. I said, is there something you're hiding from me? Are you bisexual? He didn't say anything. He just walked away. I saw him begging the guy. I think they were supposed to go out, and the guy was dressed before him. So he go angry. I was walking out of the house, and he started chasing him. You know, chasing him. I'm sorry, please. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. Let me drop you. I said, hey, I'm not allowed to enter your car. But this man that cooks for you, you guys, and I didn't mention, when the guy came into our home, they moved into the, another room, and both of them were sleeping in that room together for two straight weeks. So I was very sure. <laughs> two weeks, they were living together in the other room. So I said, ah, this thing is serious. So <laughs> this one chance I entered is <laughs> a big one chance. I called his mother. I told his mom that, mommy, there's a guy in our household. He's your son's friend. He has been around for, for over a week now. He wakes up, he will fix breakfast for him, and this guy be chasing, they're sleeping in the same room. Mommy, what's going on? What is it that I don't know? She said, and pray about it. I said, no, mommy, I'm telling you what is happening. This is not a prayer matter. You're his mom, so I'm sure you know better what is going on. She said, and no, I don't think it's so serious that you will call me to report this kind of matter. Please, you guys should talk about it, sort it out together. And the guy is his friend now. Ah, it's his friend. I said, so if your friends visit, you will now leave your bedroom and be sleeping in another room with the guy. The guy will wake up, cook for you, be doing things. No, no, this is not normal friendship. That's not what friends do. Moreover, he has a sister in this town. He should go to his sister's house. So she hung up. So if I go to work and come back, he would have cooked. And for every meal he cooks, he will not even clean up the kitchen. So he, maybe they've cooked three times. He has cooked three times. I'll come and meet the three sets of 
you know, dirty dishes. I have to come back from work and clean up my kitchen. So I told, I told my ex that I don't want this guy in my kitchen. It's disrespectful. He said, eh, who is disrespecting who? If you think you have a right in this house, in that kitchen, this guy has more right than you. Because I met him before you. So if anybody wants to even drag friendship here, it should be this guy. You're the new person here. I said, that statement is very heavy. Are you gay? He would just walk away. He wouldn't say anything. So all of this happened. He would sleep out. He was using drugs. I didn't even know he was a drug user. So he would come home. There was violence. We're arguing every time. We argued over everything. There's no electricity you need to. Can you please buy units on your way back? You are mad. Something is wrong with you. My money is not for stupid things. That's what he would. That's his response. So what's your money for? Baby is sick. Please let's go to that. My money is not for hospital bills. So what's your money for? His money was not for anything. So we were there like that until one fateful night. He went out. He said he was going to a barber shop like 5 p.m. Came back around 2.30 a.m. And was just banging all the doors. So I was breastfeeding the, the baby. So I couldn't also get up. I wanted to finish up then, get the door. By the time I finished up to the door, he had spoiled the door. He didn't just spoil the door. He came behind the room and then used the razor to tear the mesh. So I said, what's going on? Why are you doing this? Don't you know that it's rainy season and there are more mosquitoes They will come into the house? You're not even thinking of the baby. Even if you don't care about me, how about the baby? He said, eh, I locked him out. I said, because it was windy. You have your key. We're like flatmates. He was sleeping in his room. I was sleeping in my room. But we're living in the same house. So everybody wake up and pretend as if all is well. All was not well. So when he came in that night, he was so angry. I said, who goes to a barber shop and comes back 3 a.m.? Are you all right? I'm tired. I was shouting on top of my voice. I just received a hot slap on my face. So when he slapped me, of course, I tried to return it. But... <laughs> A man is strong. <laughs> he grabbed me and he gave me the beating of my life that day. In fact, he didn't just beat me. He threatened to kill me. He sat down on me and then strangled me. I didn't know when I peed on my body. So I just remember saying to him that if you kill me, our son will kill you when he's grown. So he let me go. I don't know how that one touched him, but that was what made him leave me. So I quickly took the phone and I called my mom. And I said, this guy wants to kill me. So if anything happens to me, let nobody tell you that I had an accident. I fell down and I died. He like He killed me with his hands. He said, I think you should just take your baby and get out of that room. Go to the next room and lock yourself up. Please don't argue. I can't even hear his voice. Don't argue with him again. So I did what she said. The next day I called his brother and blah, blah, blah. We talked, went home. It became a family issue, of course. And then we tried to resolve the issue back home with both families. And he almost beat my mom up at that meeting. So I knew that that was it. So that's not, And that was not the only woman. He would go out, he would sleep with girls. He would come back and tell me that, ah, I just slept with one girl she's hot he was fun he will come back and tell me those things 
So I said, what are you trying to do to me? He said, I'm done with you. I'm done. If you want to have a boyfriend, you too can have a boyfriend. In fact, I think you should do runs. Go on. There are men now. It's not your mates that are driving Range Rover and all those big, big cars. You can sleep with anybody. And bring the money home. Take care of yourself. Do anything you can do. I'm not, I'm liberal. I'm not that kind of person that will stop you from cheating or doing whatever you want to do. I said, wow, this is serious. Is that your culture? He said, no, it's not about culture, but he's, he's, he's open to anything. No? If you have anybody that likes you and person wants to sleep with you, please, you can go ahead. I said, no, that's not what marriage is about. Though. He said, leave that thing. You know, I'll be so angry about all those things. But I was bitter. I was heartbroken. Because that was not what I bargained for. I was so bitter that I didn't even remember to take care of myself. I didn't even, I was withdrawn. I won't go to any social gathering. If you invite me for a wedding, I will be. I won't go. I will give you excuses. You won't see me there. My friends, everybody said, is it because she's married? She's behaving as if we're not her class. No, that was not what was going on in my mind. What was running through my mind was different. Low self-esteem. He will wake up, he will insult me. By the way, when I delivered, I had complications. I bled for four months. And in this period, he will wake up and call me the woman with the issue of blood. That was my name. He will come to the house. If he wants to call me, he will say, issue. Like, that was my name. If he can't say the whole thing, issue of blood, he will shout, issue. I say, hey, which one is issue? He said, ah, you've been bleeding now. Is that not a woman with the issue of blood? That's, that's, that's your case. You know, so it will hurt me because in my mind, it, he married me because he loved me. But he didn't care about all those things. So after that fight and all the meeting, we had to separate, you know. But I still loved him, so I showed him where I was living. He would come and visit me in my mind. Everything will be all right. I wanted reconciliation. I wanted a family. I didn't want a broken home. But I had to also, everybody was telling me, if you go back there, we'll come there. We'll, we are the ones that will kill you. It's not you that will kill yourself. It's not this guy self that will kill you. We'll kill you. My brothers, my elder brother said, go. Just go back. You'll see what I will do to you. You know, so I knew it was a serious issue. But one other part of me still wanted us to make it right. He wanted us to try anyhow. Healing, the whole healing process. It was a long journey. It took me five good years to recover from that trauma. But it didn't happen in one day. Now I had to go for several counseling, listen to motivational speakers, you know, get the word, pray from time to time. Sometimes you feel really low. I'll feel so low. I'll cry. You know, sometimes I'll look at a child, I will cry. This was not what I wanted, but what happened? What went wrong? So I had to be true to myself. So I realized that I looked out for the wrong things. I got married for the wrong reason, first of all. I didn't pay attention to all those things, all the signs that I saw. I didn't pay attention to them. It wasn't about the physical. It was more. I needed to look at his character. And the whole healing journey was not easy, but worth it. And then I also realized that keeping all the problems to myself did not help me because it was eating me up. 
But until I start speaking about it to, to people, to friends, then I will get some relief. Yes, I will cry, but that cry was some form of relief. It helped me until I talked about it until I healed. Before now, if I start this story, I'll be crying. Everything I say, I'll... So he beats me. But, <laughs> but now it's, it's over. I, I know that there are many chances. I know I tried. I know it could have been better, but that was not God's plan for me. So it's been, it wasn't easy. They returned the bride price and all of that, but they rejected it. So I knew I was in trouble. I had to go to court. I had to go legal to get my divorce. You know, even that one was another fight. He wanted to take the child he claimed was not his own at first. And then suddenly the child is yours. You know, he won't do anything for the child. He won't pay his school fees. He, he doesn't care if he's eating, where he's sleeping, but he won't custody. So I had to lay on my facts that this guy doesn't do anything for this child. So how will you give him, grant him custody? So but at the end of it, I came out victorious and strong. So I'm sharing it with you because it's possible to heal after trauma. It's, it's very, very possible. I started reminding myself of the things that I used to like before I met him. Those were, in fact, that's the first thing that helped me. What I, started, I had to go back to myself. I had to remind myself who I was, what I liked, the things that I liked. I started looking out for them, getting them. I like I like shopping. I like even window shopping. So it's not about money. So even if I don't have money, I will go out and I started trying to do the things that I used to do that made me happy, and that helped me. I also prayed. I also opened up to people about it. I didn't keep it to myself anymore. I'll talk about it, and people will talk to me. Oh, I don't think you did bad. I think you did your best. I think you tried. I got encouragement. Of course, people will still mock you, but the good ones that will support you and encourage you are still there. So you hold on to those ones and you come out of trauma. So marriage is a very, very, very serious institution. And divorce is not sweet. The whole process, the whole is not sweet. I still have, I have friends who are divorced but have not recovered. If not, they're not over it. They still talk and they say, my husband, my husband, my mother-in-law, you know, it's still in them. They're still, they're still, they're still tied to that even, even though physically they're not there again, they've done everything, even legally, but deep down within them, if you hear them talk, they cannot move on. But it's possible to move on. It's very possible to move on. It's possible. Prayerfully and with good friends, with support, even from family, from friends, you will be fine if you ever find yourself in any abusive relationship. And the signs will always be there in courtship. And sex is not also the first thing in a relationship. Most times we, we get it wrong. If you start with sex, it's going to make you blind. You, won't, you will not see a lot of things. But just start on a clean slate, you will see everything. You will see everything. But once you start having sex, like that's what ties the both of you. Even if you see us, even if there are issues, you reconcile because you want to have sex. So, but that's not the first thing. So I learned that after my mistake, after all that I went through. So I would advise you that if you're in a relationship and you're thinking of marriage, sex should not be the first thing. 
I think you should bond with the person on every other light, every other way. You will see clearly. If he's misbehaving, you will see it. If he's a gigolo, you will see it. If he's a drug addict, you will see it. But if you start with sex, everything is centered around that sex. So, and if you also are out or in a bad relationship, it's possible if you can fix it. You can fix it if both of you want to fix it. But if it's one-sided, please move away. Don't stay there because you will kill yourself. I became hypertensive even after, even after the whole thing. But by God's grace, I'm no more hypertensive because I'm healed. And I'm not bitter. I'm not depressed. These are the things that come with emotional pain. So I hope my story has inspired you and will help you. Thank you. I, we, we, we definitely have learned a lot from your story, you know, but I'm sure that there might be one or two questions that someone might want to ask you. You know, first of all, I, would, I wanted to ask, but you answered it already, that you saw the signs, and then you ignored the signs. So, but I'm, I'm going to ask, after the, because I, I know what you're doing right now. I know that you are helping women off the streets. How did you, how did you, what, what was the motivation for that? Was it, was, does it have anything to do with your marriage? No, not, not just the marriage. Just the marriage also gave me a purpose. The bad marriage gave me a purpose. But right from when I was growing up, I had been a victim of abuse for years. Okay, so we had a nanny who had abused me for five years. As, 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 as long as I remember from when I was six years old or five plus. She was a lady. She was a woman, but she would always make me give her oral sex when my parents were not around. Even when she was on her period, she would call me. So I did that for years. I didn't like it, but I was compelled to do it. Now, at the point I wanted to open up and speak about it, I told her I was going to report her to my parents. She would always threaten me, if you talk about it, you will die. If you talk about this thing, you will die. I will kill you in this house. So I was afraid of death because we lost one uncle. My mom's younger brother passed, and we were so close to him. And so we saw my mom crying. We asked her what happened. She said her brother died. We said, what does that mean? She said, we will never see him again. So that was when, we, that was when I understood what death was. So when that, there was this fateful Saturday morning, my parents went out. My mom went to make her hair. And the lady called me as usual to come and give her oral sex. I told her I wasn't going to do it. She said, I must do it. I, I told her, in fact, today, I'm going to report you. Thank God, mommy is around. Dad is around. I'm going to report you today. So she went to the kitchen and she boiled water. And she bathed me. She poured that hot water on me. So, and I was screaming. And I was burning under my clothes. Like the clothes, the dress I was wearing was hot. And I was running around the house and screaming. And she was telling me, are you going to report? And I said, no. No, I won't report. I won't report. So someone ran. I went to call my mom from where she was making her hair. 
And by the time she came, I was already born. She took off my dress and, you know, those water stuff round my stomach. So they rushed me to the hospital. I didn't go to school for one year. I was at home and I couldn't tell my parents why that happened. She just said it was an accident. And she also warned me not to tell them what really happened. So she told them she was holding a bowl of water and I was running towards her and we hit each other and the water poured on me. So my parents, my mom was furious, but I told you not to be carrying hot water about there are little children around. You can't do this, you know, like that. But I knew that I couldn't talk about it because I was afraid. And she said, even though my parents took her back to the village, because she was a relative, even though they took her back, she still, I still had that fear that I was going to die even if she was not there, if I ever said it. So I didn't mention it. So I had been abused. I, had, I was molested by that woman. And then after that, even in my primary four, in school, the school typist called me, asked me to raise my pinafore. He wanted to see if I had pubic hairs. I told him I didn't understand. So, but he didn't succeed because, but he actually put his finger in my pants and I remember that I reported to my class teacher because she liked me. She always said she liked me. So I reported to her and she took up the matter. And the man got fired that very day. So several times, even when I go to the university, attempted rapes, cults, boys, trying to rape me at gunpoint, different times. And there was one particular one I told the guy that, because I was a virgin, I told the guy that if you want to have my body, you can go ahead and shoot me. Shoot me and have the cops. So he was scared. He asked me, who, my, who is your boyfriend? I said, I don't understand. He said, who are you dating? for you to have the guts to tell me to shoot you. So I said, I don't have a boyfriend. He said, it's not possible. That I must be dating another strong cult guy for me to tell him to shoot me and have my body. Anyways, he will not do it today, but another day he will do it. But he let me go. But finally, I still got raped. I got raped by a medical doctor after a surgery, appendicitis. And he, he just knew that this girl is innocent. And he came, he told me, don't worry, don't, don't go to the hospital for a checkup. The place is full, it's choked. I'll, I'll take care of you. Thank you. I'll take care of you. Yes. So in those days, you go back, they remove the stitches, and then you go again for checkup, all those dramatic stuff. So that happened. And then he said, don't worry, the, next, the last checkup, don't need to come to the hospital. I'll come to school. I'll just help you because the crowd... It's too much. So I said, okay. And I was comfortable because his older brother is very good friends with my father. So that trust was just there. So he came, picked me up from school, my 300 level, and he was driving. So I thought he was going to the hospital because I felt, okay, if I follow him, I won't need to join any line. I'll just go straight to his office. And So he was heading somewhere. I said, where are you going to? He said, hey, I'm going to the house. I said, your house? He said, yes. I said, why? He said, I'm on call today. The hospital is very full. So let me just do this so that you, you can go back and, and do whatever it is you have to do. So I trusted him. Followed him to the house. Entered, sat down in the living room. Then he came. 
out of his own room. He said he had to ease himself. So he went into the room and then he came out. He said, come. I said, but there's nobody in the house now. You can actually check me here. He said, I know. You're wearing a dress now. So I need to actually raise your dress up. So come inside. I live here with my brother. He might come in any time. Would you want him to come in and barge on you without clothes? I said, okay, that's true. So I followed him to the room. And he locked his door. So when he locked the door, I knew I was in trouble. And he didn't just lock the door, he removed the key. So I said, what is going on? Why did you remove the key? Your brother will not come and remove the keys from your door from inside now. So why did you remove? He said, shh, relax. I said, relax. Okay. So are you going to check the place? He didn't even check anything. He just pushed me and started struggling with me. I tried, of course, how much strength do I have? And I was a lot younger. Struggled with me till he had his way. So, and that was it. That was it. It was not a relationship. He started apologizing. I didn't know you were a virgin. I'm sorry I did this to you. I, didn't, I thought, I said, I don't understand. You know, he just, after the whole thing, he just left me in his house. Left the door open and drove out to the hospital. My dress was messed up and I didn't know what to do. I just sat out there and was waiting for it to get a bit dark so that I can go back to school. So I went back, but all of these things traumatized me. I had lost my self-esteem very, very early. Right from when I was a child, all the sexual harassment, not even mention the lecturers in school, trying to take advantage of me and then this rape. So I was already vulnerable. I was a vulnerable young girl moving up and down, looking for love, actually. And so when that guy came, for me it was a blessing because I'm not even a virgin, so... Who will even want to marry a woman that is not a virgin? Okay. So these are all the things that guided my decision. So after all of the healing, through the process, I discovered that a lot of people are going through hurt from one thing or the other. I, I took out time to hook up with sex workers on the streets, gist with them, why are you doing this? And they all have different stories. Some of them are single mothers. Up to 70% of sex workers are, have children. So they will tell you that trying to hustle, to take care of their kids. Some of them will tell you that I was raped. So what is left? So it's all low self-esteem. A couple of them actually are hungry to meet up with societal pressures, peer pressure and all of that. But some of them actually break down and cry and tell you that see somebody raped me and what else is left the most important thing for me is taking so the body is useless I will just sell it anyhow whatever money comes the person that raped me didn't give me anything so but this ones they will pay something so you hear them say those kind of things so I know that there's a lot of work to be done out there it's not in judging people so many separated young girls are on the streets some of them are sexually abused, being abused even by family members and they can't talk about it. So that was what and then child molestation happens these days. Every day children are being defiled by old men, adults. You see a two year old girl they defile, three year old, one and a half, you know, we have have all those cases of child defilement. And I just knew that I needed to to wake up to start something. 
that all my experiences were not an accident. So when I discovered purpose in my past, I, I knew that I had work to do. I knew that I needed to help a lot of people out because like, I've tasted almost all of the sexual or all forms of violence. So why won't I help someone out there since I'm healed? Being healed, I shouldn't just be all fly by myself. I should also go back and help everyone, anyone who is going through any emotional trauma or sexual violence or domestic violence. A lot of people die in abusive marriages because our culture will be like, it's bad for you to be divorced. But it's actually better to step away for some time. I was separated for five years plus before I got divorced. So if you actually separate, and it's possible to separate and reconcile, it's possible to separate and make it right, but if it's not working, you can actually move on. So that was what inspired, that was what motivated me to hit the streets. Thank you for listening to this message. Meditate on these words and watch how it will transform your life. For inquiries, please call 0909-672-9827 or 0807-548-5997. You can reach us on Instagram and Facebook. Instagram at SLChurchNG. You can reach us on our Facebook. That's Supernatural Life Church.